0: Okay, if you would take your Bible once again, turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, as we continue considering the perpetuity of the Lord's churches. Matthew 16, and again we'll read verses 13 through 19. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, Whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So, for perpetuity, this is, a guess, part three of the perpetuity of the Lord's churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. We pray as we look into the word of God tonight, again, you'd encourage us and help us in our understanding and our learning of your church and the importance of the church and our responsibilities to it. And uh, just give wisdom and direction. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been talking about perpetuity. We're talking about the state or character of being that, being perpetual or endless or indefinitely long duration or existence. And of course, we know that the Lord promised that there would be churches until His return. We're we're commanded to keep the Lord's supper, and that was a command given to the churches. We're commanded to keep that until He comes for us. So we do believe that there will be churches until the the appearance of Christ for us, and we go to meet him in the air in what we call the rapture. Uh, so, you know, we've said that truth is revealed uh, through his churches, uh, and the, the the promise here is not referring to a just one church, but the institution of the church, and so all churches, and that the churches would prevail against the forces of hell. And we look at testimonies, even testimonies of of uh, uh, theologians, of other beliefs, even Catholics, who admit that Baptists go all the way back to at least the 3rd century. And some believe that they go back, and stated that they go back farther than that to the very 1st century. Uh, John Ridpath, who was the uh, Methodist, uh, was the one who stated they go back as A.D. 100. And he said, although without doubt there were Baptists then, because all Christians were Baptists then, (laughs) Uh, I remember there was a guy by the name of Jules Smith, Brother Hoyle, I think you've met Jules Smith, who, he had a Bible collection, it was worth, I don't know, a couple million dollars, I believe. It was a very extensive collection of old and rare Bibles, and and he would go around preaching on the, the local church and the perpetuity of the church and the preservation of scriptures. And I remember him saying one time that he was on a tour in Israel, and, uh, you know, they were touring the, the ancient churches in, in Israel. And he said, uh, he said, hey, asked our guide, he said, is it not true that all the churches in the land of Israel used to have baptismal pools in them? And he said, yes, that is true. But they have filled them in. <laughs> they have filled them in since. Uh, of course, the Catholics, you know, the Mormons at one, or not the Mormons, the Muslims at one point took over the Holy Land, and of course the Crusades, which were Catholic in nature, they weren't Christian, they were Catholic. The Crusades were efforts to supposedly recapture the Holy Land from the Turks or the Muslims during the Dark Ages, you know, in the 1200s and 1300s. But anyway, uh, yeah, there were the, the, all the ancient churches had baptismal pools. And, and I mentioned last night, or last Sunday night, that most even Catholic Church did baptize by immersion up even until like 1300s, from what I understand, according to church historians. Uh, although they would baptize babies also, and they would use other forms if if the the circumstances were such as needed. So so uh, we consider the purpose of the perpetu- perpetuity of the churches is is the preservation of the gospel. And one of the things we mentioned that that has hindered or compromised the preservation of the gospel and the perpetuity of true churches is evangelicalism and fundamentalism. And fundamentalism was a movement started uh, by men in reaction to liberalism coming into schools uh, like Princeton and and other places. Uh, and, you know, Moody Bible Institute was started as a reaction to this, and and of course, these are all fundamentalist schools that started. Uh, and so, you know, these all these these fundamentalists were not all Baptists. Many of them were Presbyterian, or or Methodists or 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 some other. You know, there were even fundamentalist Lutherans, but they didn't hold to Baptistic doctrines. And and so they, they compromised over baptism, and, and then they begin to compromise in other areas as well. And I believe one of the things that this has led to, as evangelicalism and fundamentalism has led to, is the watering down of the gospel, the easy believism, I believe is the fruit of that. And, and here, here's the reason why I say that. So let's, let's begin here tonight, uh, and understand the foundation on which this whole thing rests. And it is a universal church philosophy. So, as you think about the universal church philosophy, I mentioned this uh, last week, and they they believe that the church began on Pentecost. So, go to Acts chapter two, and and this is I'm going to I'm going to kind of show you how they or what they uh, how they justify their teaching in Acts chapter two, and so those you know fundamentalists fundamentalism, which is a movement of men, and evangelicalism, which is like the Billy Graham Association and all that, they believe in a Pentecost birthday of the church. That the church started at Pentecost, on Pentecost Sunday. And, of course, Acts chapter 2 is where they, where they, where they go for that. And it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, if you go to chapter 1 and look at who they, they are, it's the members of the church. For, for example, in Acts chapter 1, what you have rec- recorded here for us is a business meeting of the church at Jerusalem. Now, that, that brings up a question right away. How can, it, how can they have a business meeting if they aren't a church? And that's something churches do. But here they, they had a business meeting, and Peter, who the Lord appointed to be the pastor after his, after his ascension, uh, uh, stands up, verse 15, in the midst of the disciples and said, and so on. So he, he's going to address this issue of Judas. Uh, verse 16, "...Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was God to them that took Jesus." For he was numbered with us and had attained part of this ministry. So, so he talks about Judas and how Judas fell. So he's no longer part of this ministry. So what they're going to do is appoint somebody. Uh, they're, going to, they're going to choose somebody by a vote of all the members to replace Judas. And that's what Peter is saying here. So, and, and this is what Peter's directing. He's just directing it. In verse, notice in verse 21. Wherefore, these men which have accompanied with us, all the time that Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be witness with us of his resurrection. And They appointed two, so they, they, they chose two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, thou knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen that he may take part of this mini apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots. Now in other words, he wasn't appointed by Peter. They gave their lots. That's what means there was a vote. And the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So when it says in verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, that is the disciples and those that gathered in that upper room, that church, they were all in their place, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, fundamentalism and evangelicalism, they go here to Acts chapter 2 and say this is the beginning of the church. And it began with spirit, quote, spirit baptism, unquote. This is what they call spirit baptism. You know, Jesus said, told his disciples that you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. He did not say, you'll become a church then. <laughs> he was said you will be baptized with the Holy which what, what, what that means is, you will be filled with the Holy Ghost. Because he said, when I leave, I'm going to send him in my place. He told, he told them that in John chapter 16. And that he would lead them, he would comfort them, and he would lead them unto all truth. So, but the fundamentalists say... And the New the Evangelicalism says, this is the beginning of the church. So the church began here with spirit baptism. In other words, when they say church, they mean universal church, which they define as the body of Christ. So, so what they're saying is the universal church is all people that are, are, that are saved, and all those people that are saved around the world are the body of Christ. That's their belief. Uh, So when a person is saved, they automatically become a member of the universal church or the body of Christ, which is all saved people all around the world, according to them. So you are placed into this invisible, you know, again, according to them, into this invisible body. By the Holy Spirit. That's what they say the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It's being placed into the, quote-unquote, body of Christ. Or, they use it synonymous, the universal church. Uh, you know, but... So the, so this is their teaching. They, they distinguish that also from the kingdom of God, which which we do too, but they say the kingdom of God is yet future. Uh, They further say that church doctrine is what is taught in the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and repeated in the Epistles. Neglecting the Gospels. See, the Gospels, according to universal church teaching or uh, 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 this universal church teaching, the Gospels are not considered doctrine for the churches but doctrine for the kingdom of God you know when when jesus said in in, in matthew chapter five and and when he started with the Sermon on the mount and and a, a fundamentalist a true fundamentalist or an evangelical will say, See this is the gospel of the kingdom uh you know, he he said he taught them, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so they would say that Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and, and and the gospel of Matthew is basically the gospel of the kingdom. It's not the gospel for the church. You know, it's it's gonna be the gospel of the kingdom. So and of course, you know, uh, along with that, baptism, then it is considered a minor doctrine. That is, water baptism. Because after all, you're already baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, quote-unquote, or the universal church. And so this 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 is what fundamentalists believe. Now what that does is, we lose then, therefore, we lose all the doctrine that Jesus taught in the Gospels. It's rendered, basically, null and void. Because they consider it, really, part of the Old Testament. Uh, they wouldn't say that, but, but the Old Testament law. You see, the law would be up, at the, and they, the, of course, they're the dispensationalists, so they would say the dispensational law went all the way till the crucifixion. And then that started the dispensation of grace. So, so the, the first 25 chapters of Matthew would be under the law. And the last three chapters then would be in the age of grace in which we're living. So we lose all that church, things concerning church doctrine that Jesus gave us in the first 25 chapters of Matthew. And see, they also say that there was a change. If you notice in Matthew 22, Jesus presented himself... And what was called Palm Sunday. It's referred to as Palm Sunday. Uh, actually, it's on, in Matthew twenty-one. <clears throat> Matthew twenty-one. Uh, and even if you, if if you know, if you happen to have a Scofield Bible, don't follow Scofield's notes on this, because Scofield's got this problem problem too. He's a Universal Church guy. Anyway. And Schofield calls this, quote, the king's public offer of himself as king. In, Re- in Matthew 21, it says in verse 1, When they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, were come to the Bethlehem unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus to disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. If any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. And this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, a, a colt, the fool of an ass. And the disciples went and Jesus did as Jesus commanded them, brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when it was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Galilee. And Jesus went in the temple of God, and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats, and them that sold doves. And said unto them, it Is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer; but ye have made it the den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were sore displeased. And they said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou perfected praise? And he left them, went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now, see, they would say then that this was the rejection, really the rejection of the Jews of Jesus as their king. So since they rejected him from being king, now he's going to die as the Savior. I have a problem with that my bible says that he was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world but see when you become an ultra dispensationalist and you chop the bible up into all these little pieces and try and divide it into sections uh, overzealously, I, there are sections of the scripture there are dispensations taught in the bible but we can't be so dogmatic about where one starts and where one stops. But what they do then is they, they render what Jesus taught, what Jesus preached, as really not doctrine for the New Testament church age. I know that's hard for some of you to understand that never taught anything different. But if you, were, if you were taught it from my perspective, you know, this, is what, this is what it boils down to. So, so this is what fundamentalism does. Now, if you do that, if you do that, where in the Bible do we have the law reiterated by Christ and reinforced? Matthew 5. Matthew 5. You really, so really what they're doing is, see that weakens, the weakens the strength of the law and the reality of sin. Therefore weakens the need for repentance. And fundamentalism has morphed into an easy believism, gospel. And I say it's a natural outflow of the universal church teaching by the rejection, basically, of the the Gospels, for the most part. Because, you know, people will say, well, you know, we're not under the law. We're not under the law. The law is null and void. Wait a minute. What did Jesus say about the law? He said, if any man doesn't teach the least commandments, he's going to be the least in the kingdom of heaven. And the law shall not pass away till all is fulfilled. It is by the law that we have knowledge of sin. How do I know I'm in sin? Even as a child of God, by the law. You see, the moral law has never been rendered null and void. Now, the ceremonial law of the Jewish people, that has been rendered null and void. That had to do with the the, the worship of the children of Israel in the temple, the Jewish people. That is done away in Christ, because it all pictured Christ who would come and take away our sin. He was a sacrifice to satisfy all those pictures and types. That's done away in Christ. Now we have a complete sacrifice. The civil law, you know, the laws that governed... The Sabbaths and all that. Yeah, you know, we're, not, we're not required to keep those. But God never did away with the moral law. The moral law is eternal. Adultery is still adultery. Fornication is still fornication. Covetousness is still covetousness. Stealing is still stealing. Sodomy is still sodomy. You know, it hasn't changed. But see, when you reject, and, and the, where we get that reinforced, not only the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 5. You know, he said, you know, if thou, the, Bible, or the, the law says thou shalt not commit adultery. But what did he say? He said, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you commit adultery in your heart. So he wasn't just talking about the letter of the law that's offensive against God. The spirit of the law is. We shouldn't even be covetous. We shouldn't desire other people's things, let alone take them. So, see, fundamentalism, this movement of men, which is really dying, it's kind of morphed into evangelicalism, uh, this movement has brought about a lot of these things, has changed the doctrines of those of the Baptist faith. Now, so let's move on to the Baptist view, the historical Baptist view, and that is the local church view. Now, they believe, we believe as Baptists, and and we believe that churches back to the first century all believe this, that the church began with the ministry of Christ. And and really, it, it began with the ministry of Christ And the first believers were prepared by John the Baptist and baptized by John the Baptist. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 35, says again, The next day John, this is John the Baptist, stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And two of his, two of disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So two of John's disciples heard John say that, that's the Lamb of God, and it says, and they followed Jesus. So they left John and followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto him them, what seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted as master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah. Now we know that Messiah means the Christ or the anointed of God. So he said, We find the Messiah. Uh, lost a place here. Which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him, by the way, Peter wasn't the first one to testify that Jesus was the Christ. Never thought about that until I was reading this today. Here Andrew does. And later in this chapter, Nathaniel is going to. So these men already, through the preaching of John the Baptist, when John pointed Jesus out, they knew who he was. And they have believed on him. Because John preached that he's coming. And you need to believe on him that's coming. And you need to show your belief by being baptized in water. So, this is what's happening. Uh, verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus, and he brought Peter. When Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonas. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. I, I guess, you know, I, this, I don't know. That makes me think that Jesus understood that Peter was hard headed and persisted in his own way. And we know from the rest of the account of the Gospels that Peter was. You know. uh, so he knew that. He, he, of course, he knew the hearts of all men. The day following, verse 43, Jesus would f- go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. And Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and prophets write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence thou hast thou meet? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. So here you have, these were men that were baptized, had been preached to by John the Baptist, and baptized by John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist pointed to Jesus said, that's the Lamb of God, which will take away the sin of the world, they left John and followed him. They became Jesus' disciples. And Jesus did not. Re-baptize Because John's baptism was from God. He was a man... Chapter 1 of John, verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John baptized Jesus. He baptized the disciples of his. And they turned around when they, they learned who Jesus was. By the way, Jesus' baptism revealed his purpose. What's baptism picture? Burial and resurrection. That's why he was baptized. So so these were all disciples of John, baptized by John. And when Jesus was appointed out as Messiah, they they followed him. And and so John preached repent and be baptized. So this is what baptism means. See, baptism reveals belief... In the work of Christ. Look at John 1 here. In verse 30 through 34. And this is John the Baptist again. Says this is he of whom I said. After me cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me. And I knew him not. But that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying. I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And a boat upon him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me. Of course, we know God sent him. He that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So, John's baptizing of Jesus was to make Jesus manifest or to reveal him to the nation of Israel as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world, the one who would die, be buried, and resurrect three days later to pay the penalty for our sins. See, baptism and baptism to this day reveals belief in the work of Christ. So, again, if you're a fundamentalist, you would say, John is an Old Testament prophet. So this doesn't apply to the church. But Jesus started his church with those disciples that John baptized. And Peter... Luke would testify of that, and Peter would l- later testify of that. If you go to Acts chapter 10, and verse 36, he's here preaching to Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, thir- verse 36, he says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching pre- peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. So, it began, you know, really what we have here is, John the Baptist prepared the materials, you might say prepared the materials for the first church, and Jesus built it. So this was a a church. These disciples uh, became the members of the first church. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And verse 19. He saith unto them. Of course, this is Peter Peter and Andrew. And and he's going to call James and John here and others right here. And it says, and he said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway they left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending the nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their ship and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him all that were sick and were taken with divers diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy and he healed them. There followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem, from Judea and from beyond Jordan. And so, and then it goes on and it goes into the, the Matthew chapter five verses uh, chapter five six and seven are he is discipling teaching them the doctrines of the gospel. What we what we are to teach to this day, uh, and then in chapter sixteen, verse eighteen, you know he, he talks about that he would build his church, uh, and and so he, he you know this this is this is a this is what a church is. Uh, they were an assembly uh, that gathered with him and, and traveled with him, uh, though churches today don't travel like this, but. You know, and by by the way, in Bible times, they met from house to house. In times of persecution, churches have always, they don't, they, you know, until there was liberty given to churches, they never had buildings. They just met from place to place, wherever they, wherever they could meet, you know. Sort of like the Amish. They meet at this person's house this week. And next week, you know, maybe somebody else's house. And next week at somebody else's house. Now the Amish aren't a church, but you know, that's that's the way they used to meet. Churches used to meet until there was liberty, and then they started building buildings and uh so on. Um so so this is this is this is how this is what Jesus built his church, and this was the first church. You know, they had they, they had a membership. Acts chapter 1 tells us that the number of the names was 120 that met in the upper room. They had a number of the names, so they had a church role of members. Acts chapter 2 tells us that they were added to that number. So they had a membership. Now, they had a membership prior to Pentecost. They had, they baptized prior to Pentecost. Now, and they had observed the Lord's Supper prior to Pentecost. As we saw in Acts chapter 1, they had a business meeting prior to Pentecost. So all the things that the Lord commands churches to do in this day and time, they did, basically prior to Pentecost. So, you know, again, so this is, this is, this is what we be to be the biblical view of, you know, that the church is only local. That a body of Christ is a local church. You know, the, 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 the interesting thing is, even those who teach the universal church theory, or invisible church, when we moved down here, we were staying uh, some Sunday afternoons over in the Prophets' Chamber at Calvary, and Kevin Jones Library is in the Fellowship Hall over there, and it's quite extensive. And I got to looking through it, and I saw this book on planning churches, and I thought, "Oh, that's what we're here to do." So I pulled it out, asked Pastor Webb if I could borrow it and read it. He said, "Sure." It was it was by the uh, by um, a guy from Arizona. He was a big Big fundamentalist name. I can't remember his name. Singleton, James Singleton, I think his name was. Anyway, so I started reading the book, and and he and he and he said one of the things I remember him saying in the book is, you know, that the church is universal, of course. Church universal is called the body of Christ, which he said is a misnomer, because a body is that which makes life visible. Uh Yeah, it is, isn't it? So you just kind of shot yourself in the the foot, buddy. So what you have to do to make this universal church theory work is you have to change definitions of words. Spiritualize them or allegorize them. That's what the Catholics do. That's how they come up with their doctrines. That's how Protestants do to come up with their baby baptism. See, they're spiritualized, they're allegorized, they don't take the Bible literally. They change the meanings of words. So, as we think about a what is a New Testament church, so as we, if we get down to a New Testament church, what this boils all down to is some conclusions from a New Testament church standpoint. Number one, a New Testament church will require a regenerate or a saved church membership. In other words, saved and baptized. You know, when they in Acts chapter two and verse forty-one, what they that gladly received his word were baptized. In the same day, there were added unto them three thousand souls. First Corinthians twelve thirteen says, "For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body." Now again. We looked at that last week. In the context, you're talking about a local church. The Spirit of God. Is, you know, again, the universal church guys will say that's talking about Spirit baptism. You know, that we're all baptized into the universal, the invisible body of Christ. But that defies the context. Actually, verse 27, he says very clearly, "Ye are the body of Christ." So. No, no, we're led by the Spirit. You know, the Spirit of God is our divine teacher that you do receive the moment you get saved. And He is the one who's to instruct us and lead us into all truth. So what He leads us into doing is get baptized and join a church. That's what the Spirit of God leads a saved person to do. And He will lead you to manifest your salvation. Again, notice, remember what I said Salvation reveals belief in the work of Christ. So, he will lead you to manifest your salvation, to to give proof or evidence of your salvation by being baptized, identifying with Christ. Now, again, to us, in our day and time, that's not such a big deal. we have kind of like, okay, they got baptized today. In that time, it meant it cost them something. It meant persecution. It meant separation from family. See, to, to really identify, come out publicly, and taking a stand for Christ, cost them. It cost them. And... If, we, if you really think about the things the scriptures say about baptism, look, let's look at a couple of verses here. Mark 16, 16. This is how strong the Bible is concerning baptism. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, now think about that verse. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. So so if a person is so so what the scripture is saying here to us is if a person is saved they will get baptized. Now, for a person to be lost, it's just a matter of unbelief. I mean, lost people can can get baptized. But if a person is saved, he will get baptized. He will show it by his baptism. To me, well, let's look at one other other, passage. Go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, the Church of Christ who believe which believe in baptismal regeneration, in other words, you're saved by being baptized, will take this verse and say, See, for your sins to be forgiven, you must be baptized. No. When it says to be baptized everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, for, it could mean because of. So like this. You know, you might see a poster, you know, if you were back in Back in uh, you know, a couple hundred years ago, during the Wild Wild West, and you went into a, uh, a saloon and you saw a poster, Jesse James wanted for robbery. Now, does that mean you want, somebody wants Jesse James to do a robbery? Or does that mean that Jesse James is wanted because he has robbed? And that's what this means here. You get baptized because... Because of the remission of sins. You've been saved, and so you demonstrate that by being baptized. Look at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> Verse 35. This is Philip in the eunuch. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth, began the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. Now the scripture he was reading from was, we believe, from Isaiah 53. There's not really anything in Isaiah 53 about baptism. Nothing. It's about the sacrifice of Christ. But, and it says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, that raises a question in my mind. Why did he ask that question? Who told him? Who said anything about baptism? Obviously, Philip did. Because it was part of the gospel message. You see, if you really repent in your heart and in your mind, you are what, what you are saying is, I'm willing to die to myself and resurrect to living for Christ. That's what John preached. He said, do works meet for repentance. You Pharisees, are you willing to die yourself and be resurrected to Christ? No, they weren't. That's why they went away. That's why he didn't baptize them. But see, this was part until, until fundamentalism and new evangelicalism. This was part of the gospel. Baptism. So, I would conclude from that that if a person makes a profession and they don't go on and get baptized, I would say they're not saved. Now, you say, do people have to get baptized to be saved? No. But there's only one example in the whole Bible where somebody got saved and didn't get baptized, and that was the thief on the cross. And he couldn't. He was dead within an hour or a couple hours. You see, this is the pattern throughout scriptures. You see, baptism, you know, people talk about symbols of Christianity. You know, some people say, well, the fish is a sign of Christianity. Really, the only biblical symbol of Christianity is baptism, it's like a visual aid of the gospel. You know what did John or peters or not uh, Paul say in 1 Corinthians fifteen the gospel is it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, according to the scriptures, and that's the picture that baptism gives for us I'm out of time again um, so you know this is again this was This is what churches taught, biblical churches taught, Baptist-believing churches taught up until the last century or two with the movement of fundamentalism and the infiltration of fundamentalism. Uh, and, And again, fundamentalism was not just Baptist people. It was a movement, it was a conglomeration of denominations that held to separation standards. But you know, again, uh, didn't didn't uh, all believe in baptism by immersion? Uh, local church authority. They universal. They taught universal church philosophies, and this has corrupted uh, many Baptist churches till they really no longer understand the authority of a local church. Uh, the other thing that it has this has caused the universal church view has brought about parachurch ministries um, Bible colleges now become the authority and they will pressure you Pastor Webb was telling the Bible class here this last Tuesday night that he used to preach on the, at the Fundamentals of the Faith Conference in Elfton Maryland and he said those Bible colleges the one he went to, Bob Jones had men that either listened or attended those conferences to hear what they were saying, and he. I remember. I remember a message he preached one night, and they called it the shot that was heard around the world, and it was about the compromise taking place at Bob Jones University. There was a guy in the church that night who went out in the parking lot and called Bob Jones University and told them what was being said, and before Pastor Webb got home, he had a letter. From Job Jones University. See, they put pressure. And influence. Because they have, you know, they're big. Mission boards. There's no mission boards in the Bible. There's none. And often, what always usually happens is mission boards usurp the authority of the local church talk to missionaries that are on fields that are out of local churches and trying to work with mission board missionaries they usurp the authority of the local church uh, and as we're going to see next week I've got to stop here we're going to see next week, as we continue to, and this will probably be the final message, that the authority is given to the churches. It's given to the churches. It's not given to Peter, it never was given to Peter. You know the Catholics like to say the authority was given to Peter, but it wasn't. But you'll have to come back for the rest of the story next week. I'll prove that to you. But you know, but you know as we think about that. And the authority that God has given to the local churches, see, it puts a responsibility on us to be faithful in giving out the gospel. And, uh, and so we'll look at some of those things next week and the distinctions of a New Testament church and the authority that the Lord gives those. But you know, God has given us, you know, we may be small but, you know, God has always dealt with remnants. Was it the majority of the Israelites that believed God? No. It was always minority. And, uh, and God is still, still dealing with remnants. And so we just need to be faithful and carry out the responsibility he has given to us.